This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, we'll be delving down the back of the sofa and having a good old-fashioned geek out. must be an incredibly large sofa. How are we all going to fit down there? We're all very good friends, Trev. Very close. <laughs> Plus all that fluff, too. It's leather, it's wiped clean. You know, what can go wrong? If we all snuggle up together, it'll be fine. I'm not quite sure I like this idea of snuggling with <laughs> particularly Trevor. But I mean, but, Leeson's actually quite... He's small, isn't he? So he, he quite often falls down the back of sofas, I expect. <laughs> so I've got no problem trying to rescue him there. <laughs> yes well there we go now that's an interesting intro but it's kind of appropriate (laughs) really i think given the nature of our discussion this episode every now and again we decide to completely throw structure yes we do have some believe it or not out the window and just talk and we've we've affectionately term these episodes as as geek outs in which i've never actually taken part of one what do you mean no are you saying so no? So we weren't supposed to prepare for this. Because oh. <laughs> I, I sat down I sat down before we recorded and memorised the first two Doctor Who quiz books by Nigel Robinson. Okay, and what interesting facts did you pick up there, Trev? Well, the, apart from the fact that the fourth Doctor went fishing, um, uh, isn't this supposed to be the quiz recording? <laughs> uh, no, do you have a new uh, foolproof method for winning the quiz again? That was my foolproof method, <laughs> memorising the quiz books. Unfortunately, your foolproof method... You're saying method, that was all wasted. It, it, it falls down because this isn't a quiz. So uh, one point to us, I think. Why did the TARDIS explode? Do you think that question will ever form part of a future DWP quiz? Um, I, can we go to the multiple choice, please? Multiple choice. Okay, Leeson, give us four potential reasons as to why that TARDIS exploded at the end of season five. Without any hesitation, go now. Um, silence. Master, time war, uh, eye of harmony. Pretty good. Pretty good. Ian, answer his question now. Uh, wibbly wobbly timey wimey. <laughs> I like that. The, the two answers that you can't really be marked wrong for is time war and wibbly wobbly timey wimey. <laughs> and if you can have a wibbly wobbly timey wimey time war, then presumably that's bonus points. I'm writing these down. These are absolute bonus strategy <laughs> things for, for future quizzes. Answer all questions. Time war. Brilliant. I think, well, I see, think by definition that a time war is wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey. 
I see. I think I wish I had like an everyday equivalent of wibbly wobbly timey wimey because um, I think Stephen Moffat sort of uses it to to sort of uh, uh, brush aside any any confusion about anything. If something's a bit confusing, doesn't quite work. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Uh, if I could do that in everyday life, uh, you know, when I when I made a point that wasn't uh, right or, or I made a comment which offended someone, and I could just uh, try out this phrase, it would be fabulous. It's some kind of, you know, panacea for erasing anything you ever said that was slightly wrong in hindsight. Mm. Yeah, I mean, either that or or become a silent. (laughs) Right, welcome to the Doctor Who podcast. We haven't recorded together for ages, have we? Did someone say silence? Silence will fall. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, episode 192. And it's time for another Geek Out special, I think. Uh... Mind Warp. Leeson, you've been watching Mind Warp again, episode one, after your, uh, well, extolling of of the story with, with Tom a couple of episodes or so ago. Have Now that you've watched it again, actually, you haven't watched it again, have you? That was Tom. No, I watched it again last night. Oh, you did watch it again. Wonderful. Okay. And are you of a different view? Do you still think this is a fantastic story? Yeah, well, you know, it's not that I thought it was it's a fantastic story. It's, it's certainly an overrated story, and it's one that I really enjoy. And yeah, I watched it again last night. Uh, in fact, and this is a bit well, as this is a geek out. We can we can we're all friends here, aren't we, listeners? Uh, I watched it twice. I watched it once uh, without the commentary, and then once uh, straight after with the commentary. Uh, and yeah, I love it. It looks brilliant. Uh, it, and, and of that era of Doctor Who, very few of them do look as good as that, uh, sort of dark and interesting. Uh, I like Kiv. Um, Nabil Shaban had, had made uh, Sill so much of a, of, a, of a character that for someone else to come in and try and play a, you know, an, another one of the same race you know, was, um, was not an easy task. And yeah, uh, it, the whole thing doesn't hang together too brilliantly, but in a way, that's why I like it. Wasn't Lord Kiv played by one of the young ones? Was it... He was Mike, yeah, Mike from the young ones. And Sontaran. Oh, it's the same guy, is it, who plays the Sontaran? Uh, Chris, yeah. Chris Ryan or something? Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, okay, yes. No, I, I, I quite liked every all, all the constituent elements of Mind Warp. I love the Doctor being duplicitous. I love the special effects. I love the alien planet that really looked like an alien planet. You know, I, I like the fact that Perry died, um, despite the fact it was rent cod at the end, because the shock and the impact watching that was something Doctor Who fans simply weren't used to. But um, for some reason, when you watch it all together, it's it, it's 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 what Tom said it was. Really, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just can't can't really enjoy it. Um, I, I think certainly it's a lot better if you remove all of the trial scenes. And I'm not sure whether I've said this before, but one of the things I was really hoping for when they released Trial of a Time Lord on DVD was an option to watch all of those stories without any of the trial scenes, because it would have been perfect. Yes! Yes! Yeah, I, mean, I, I was thinking the same thing. It, it would be good to, if they could go back and, and maybe if there was filmed footage that, uh, you know, that hadn't been used and they could uh, re-edit it in, in a kind of... Like they did with, the, uh, with Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut. They could go back and recreate it as... Because uh, you know, all, all of the stories are less because of the, the whole Time Lord trial threading theme. And I, I'd actually forgotten... Uh, having watched Mind Warp again last night, how much uh, trial sequences, how many there, there were in, in Mind Warp, and it really does break up the action. And, yeah, big time. Yeah, and, and and they were all sort of retroactively fitted, weren't they? It, it's, it really <laughs> is a shame. Because what the story needs is more Brian Blessed shouting. I mean, it needs less trial scenes and more Brian Blessed going, Rah! 
Blah. Yeah. Blah. Blah. Yes. There's no one else. There's no one else on the planet that that, that could have uh, played that part like that. I mean, he he is unique on on the earth. I think Trevor would have given it a good shot. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned Superman two. Mm. Yeah. Do you remember the um the the the, the three villains? Can you remember it was General Zod? General Zod. What was the woman's name? Uh, Ursa or ooh. Ursa? It was Ursa, yeah. wasn't it? She was at Gadafrey, you know. Oh, uh, was she? Yeah, I, I knew I recognised her. She was on a. She was actually on a panel uh, for voiceover artistry. I think she does quite a lot of voiceover, and um, she was sitting next to, or at least one down from Nick Briggs. So I was just mm. thinking, well, you. Just look at this ridiculous panel. You've got Ice Warriors, Daleks, Jadoons sitting next to Ursa <laughs> from Superman 2. Only in LA. <laughs> Only in LA. And Ashoka from Star Wars The Clone Wars. Yeah, I didn't know who she was. But, uh, she was but, she was <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think if anything was really going to summarise what Gadafrey is, it's just a, a whole load of sci-fi loose ends rolled all together, put on a panel, and then said, entertain a crowd. Now, that's that's pretty much Gadafrey in a couple of sentences. Sci-fi loose ends knitted into a Tom Baker scarf. Mm, loose ends. I like this theme that's developing. This is just mm. random hopping around the uh, the Hooniverse, really. Okay, are we ever going to get an explanation for a future Amy and Rory? No. 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 It was just something they threw into that story as a little thing in that story, and there's no wider significance, it's never coming back again. I've changed my mind, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the 50th anniversary. If, if they are going to pop back, if there's going to be, maybe, maybe, maybe they would be able to tie it in there. They were, might, that oh, that might be God. a little, they, little they, nod. They, they aren't going to explain the exploding TARDIS. You think they're going to explain Amy and Rory on a hill from the Silurian story? My goodness. The, the, the Silurian story. Moffat was... has fans twisted around his little finger by saying, ah, that might be explained. You know, Moffat always lies. The Doctor always lies. That's just an excuse for Moffat to make up whatever he damn well likes, whenever he damn well feels like. And say, even if I've left the show and I'm not showrunner, or even if I'm dead in 20 years' time, there's still a chance it might be explained. Hang on, fans. No, you see, I, I think that there isn't a grand plan. But uh, if they were, if there was, if they were thinking, let's bring Amy and Rory back for a quick hurrah in the fiftieth, and they were looking at ways to do it, they might go. Hang on, uh, we've got the, we've got this that we could possibly use. I don't think they'll be back. I don't think they'll be back at all. And, and you're right; they could have hung it on it if if they were going to come back. But allegedly, the um, the, the, the circle or the uh, the premise um, that they developed in Muppets Take Manhattan, where you know they cannot ever go back to New York, was supposed to be a full stop after Amy's journey. She's you know she's just like Rose, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Let's put her in an alternate universe, mm. <laughs> which no one can ever find or visit again. <laughs> that's a way to have ensure that she doesn't turn up. Oh no, look, there she is the next year. But that's that's what actually a something I'd love to ask you all about. Has there ever been a return to Doctor Who that hasn't fallen flat? Maybe with the exception of Liz Sladen and Sarah Jane. But all of the returns after the companions have left, when they've got together for these celebratory episodes, journeys end, end of time, whatever, every single one for me has fallen slightly flat, with the very, very yeah. big exception of Liz Sladen, and possibly, possibly Joe Of course Joe they do. The five of doctors. course they do. What really annoys me is when the series puts a full stop somewhere, and they say, and but they make it an emotional full stop. You know, they spend half a season or a couple of stories saying goodbye to these characters. But then they're there the next week. 
or, oh, no, that didn't really happen, uh, you know, they're there next year. That I, I feel really cheated when that kind of stuff happens. I, I agree with you, Jane. Liz Sladen is a notable exception because she left the show and, like with any companion that's still alive as far as the series is concerned, uh, you know, there's, there's a chance for them to come back. But when you stick characters in alternate universes and when you kill characters, you know, they shouldn't return ever. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Ian said something interesting right at the beginning there. Five Doctors. Was was the classic series better at bringing back companions from the past than, than the new? They hardly did it at all. Uh, I think the Five exactly. Doctors and maybe Tegan is one of the very few examples of it happening, except for characters like the Brigadier, where exactly. it's implicit Brigadier. to how their character worked, that they dropped in and dropped out on a regular basis. Um but no, I thought the five but Tegan's was, was departure and subsequent rearrival in Ark of Infinity was planned. Yeah. It was oh, always I, I, planned. Absolutely. And it was the next story. So, yeah. Yeah, so that there's nothing wrong with that if it's part of a plan. But you can't tell me that someone like Rose, who left into an alternate universe, they planned to bring her back next year. You can't tell me that happened. No, I, and that whole thing... It, it devalues the, the your, your original experience. It, it, you know, it's like it's like breaking up with a girlfriend, meeting up with them uh, a few years later, and then trying to get that spark back together. It, it's not the same. You can, you can never go back, mm. and and you end up devaluing your uh, your original uh, enjoyment. I think, uh, and that's that was certainly true with Rose. I think I think this is one of the places where modern Doctor Who kind of intersects with the move the moved on culture where in the same way that the doctor now has to have some air of romance around it because it's not credible to a modern audience that he would be around these women all the time and there would be nothing there at all and yet you have to address it and for there to be dramatic tension in the story there has to be a realistic threat you know we went 25 years in the old show of companions with a couple of very very notable exceptions never actually dying no matter how much threat they were in and that becomes unrealistic after a while you've got to actually you know follow through with the punch every once in a while for the audience to believe that it's going to happen so modern who and all of its iterations has been trying to do this but at the same time not wanting to actually kill anyone because that that's that's too scary for the young kids. And see, this is weird, but we keep seeing it over and over diff- different mechanisms whereby they can kill someone and bring him back, and kill someone and bring him back. And they did mm. it to Rory over and over again. They did it to Rose over and over again. They did it to Donna, who kind of died but didn't die. They've just done it to Amy and Rory to, collectively in Angels Take Manhattan, where they managed to kill them and not kill them at the same time. It's becoming a bit ludicrous the different mechanisms having to jump through to try and have their cake and eat it. I'll tell you where I think it does work. I think the monsters generally work. You know, I mean, I've, I've never seen the macro look so good in gridlock. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, yeah but there's more than one macro. There, there's only one Rose. There's only one Martha. Uh, sure, you can bring the Daleks back every year and the Cybermen back and the macro and whatever. But companions are unique. They're singular. When you do something to a companion, it should be permanent. Not mandatory, depending on, oh, let's bring him back because it'll be such an emotional story. The fans loved her five years ago. We've got to have her back because, you know, we can't come up with anything original. Yeah, because the monsters are the the continuous threats. They they are always there, whatever guys guys they're in, and you can bring different ones back uh, and interchangeable. uh, But... Your, your companions are they're your little journey they're, and you see whichever little era th- through their eyes almost and uh, I think it's often overlooked how much the, the, the companions sort of change the feel of an era or, or a series of shows mm. No I agree completely and I, th- I think it's very obvious to um, when you look at the new Who 
to see how that works. Yes, it's all about the Doctor and it's about how the Doctor reacts to his companions, but it is very much informed uh, by the companion. And in, in as much as, I mean, you look at the very first episode in 2005, it's not named after, yes, the show is called Doctor Who, but the first episode is called Rose. Hmm. And when you get Martha in, it's Smith and Jones. <laughs> you know, it, mm. it, it's just a case of, yeah, here's a companion. We're going to be introducing them and we're going to kind of build whatever sci-fi drama we're going to build around that companion. And, and I think you're right, Trevor. There are times when they revisit it. And the temptation to bring back past companions, particularly when you really think the actors or actresses playing them uh, are really, really talented. must be enormous. must be really hard not to say, oh, we could get Catherine Tate back for a special. But it's got to be so good. And and therefore, this leads on to my next question. How concerned are you about the 50th anniversary special? Not as concerned as Stephen Moffat. (laughs) (laughs) I am very concerned because every time I think of the 50th anniversary, I think of the scene, is it the end of... Journey's End, where they have everyone around the TARDIS console. Yes. Every, pretty much every past companion for the last three years crammed into that story. When I think of the 50th anniversary, I think of Journey's End. And I don't want my anniversary season to be filled with scenes and stories like that. I, I want it done a little bit more intelligently. Mm, and I think Stephen Moffat is on record as making quite an interesting point because if you have these, um, you're like the five doctors where you bring lots of companions back, you bring all the doctors back, that it's a bit like a final curtain call. Uh, and, and in a way, when they did the fifth, the five doctors, um, you can sort of chart that as, as, the, as the tipping point where, you know, the wave broke and started to roll back into the sea. Uh, and although we had uh, good stories a- after that, it's uh, you know, a slow, slow, steady decline. You can't. You can only talk about the five doctors being like a flagpost in the ground in terms of quality. Beyond there, in retrospect, certainly at the time they didn't create the five doctors and go, "Oh, this is a milestone. This is twenty years. It's all downhill from here." It was created as a celebration, a, mm. a joyous celebration of Doctor Who, and 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 I see nothing wrong with doing something similar for that for the fiftieth anniversary. It, it doesn't have to be a oh, this is the end, but the moment has been prepared for time. But it, do, it, it does have the potential to feel a bit like a, a full stop, a bit like, a, you know, a, a curtain call. Do Why we... can't it be a full stop? Why can't it be a... I mean, everyone's saying this is the 50th year. That, that there's already a full stop in place already. There's already people... Everyone's saying, you know, this is the celebration of 50 years of the programme. It's a milestone already. It is one of those rocks in the ground that tell you how many miles to London. It's a fixed point in time. It's a fixed point in time, exactly, <laughs> wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Do you know, that's the best, best definition I've ever heard of a fixed point in time. <laughs> it's a rock that tells you how many miles London is. <laughs> what is wrong with celebrating that? Everyone's already celebrating the fact that this is the 50th anniversary year anyway. Why not acknowledge it and just get on with it? I don't think it doesn't anything... have to be a funeral. I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating it. Obviously there isn't. But the worry is that, uh, you know, it's, it's 50 years. Look, It's all gazing back rather than looking forward. You see what I mean? I I do, but I don't think that's going to be the case. And I don't think the Five Doctors was uh, navel-gazing either. And it it wasn't a complete full stop. It was a... You know, you think of how that story ended. After all, that's how it all began. And off he goes once again. It's almost... 
a bit of a reboot. I mean, and that's something that's been used in Doctor Who quite a bit. We got to the end of that story arc, let's start all over again with a brand new set of adventures. And that almost defines what Doctor Who is these days. One of the things I'm interested in, certainly, is is, is the recent... And is it announcement? I'm not sure if you can call it an announcement. It was it was within the videos showed at Gallifrey mm. um, this 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 past week, where Stephen Moffat says, "Of course, Doctor Who is not going to be limited, or the celebrations are not going to be limited to one 60-minute episode." Don't believe that. That was never going to be the case. But he stopped short of saying there's going to be two or three. So mm. is he talking about? <laughs> oh yes, there'll be a 60-minute adventure, and there'll be I don't know some special 50th anniversary idents and some <laughs> trailers you know are we going to get two or three special episodes solely to celebrate the 50th anniversary i've always thought that there's going to be if not a full season at least a shortened season this autumn i just don't believe that you'll go all the way from about what may when series 7b finishes through to christmas and have a single episode for the anniversary year i'm sure that there's gonna be something substantial exactly what it's going to be i don't know but i think you'll see multiple episodes not just the one 60 minute special that just is incredible to me remember we've also got the uh, mark gators documentary as well which, Ooh, which i yes. presume will be screened around the 23rd of November, if not on the 23rd yeah, of November. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think Stephen Moffat, when he says stuff like that at Gallifrey in the video, is factoring those sort of uh, uh, presentations into account that will get one 60-minute fantastic story, uh, which will celebrate Doctor Who in all its glory, and will also get this uh, Mark Gatiss documentary talking about the history of Doctor Who. Mm. He, he, he was clearly trailing something we don't know about yet. Uh, that The way he'd said it, there's something else out there that he hasn't told us about yet. And we will know about the Mark Gatiss thing, so it's not that. Uh, the only other possibility is that uh, there are many rumours that we may see an official convention uh, this uh, autumn, similar to the one in Cardiff last year. And I wouldn't be at all surprised to see that either. Um, I, I still think there's going to be more actual proper episodes of Who on TV, new ones, than just this one 60-minute uh, special. I hope so. I, th- I think there may be two. <laughs> or it may be, I don't know, maybe it's not 60 minutes after all, maybe it's 90 minutes. I, I, I'm not sure. I do know that they won't be telling us everything, and I don't think they should tell us everything and we've had a couple of tweets certainly sent to us over the last couple of weeks or so from people who are really fed up with speculating and they're just saying why can't they just tell us so is that a sensible question you know should they just tell us what they're doing i don't know why 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 can't they just not tell us why can't Stephen Moffat stop being... Uh, what, what did Chris call him the other week? A, a uh, troll. troll? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that that was the most perfect description I've heard of Mr Moffat for, for quite some time. No. He is a Doctor Who troll. No. He sits there and, and he throws his little tidbits out and then he disappears back into the mist. Um, I, I, I would honestly prefer... If he just didn't say a damn thing, I think, I, 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 think, I, I think, think he would prefer that as well. But uh, because there is all this speculation, because there are there are leaks and rumours, uh, every now and again he has to sort of uh, you know, address them. No, he it? doesn't. <laughs> Let people speculate. Fans are always going to speculate. We're sitting here speculating now. They're always going to do it, whether Stephen Moffat's there or not. Just uh, sit back, make the best show he possibly can, stay off the internet, stop teasing people, stop you know, almost bullying people with these little uh, tidbits and saying, oh, 
you know, this, this, this might happen. You know, don't, don't believe the rumours. And then we're sitting here speculating about stuff they hasn't even said. No, if, um, if, if that was the case... Don't if, say a thing, Stephen. If, we'll, we'll wait till the season comes along. If he was doing that, I think we'd be sat here, we'd be going, oh, we've got this grumpy showrunner, you know, standoffish, and, you know, uh, snubs fans won't tell us what's going on. I'm, I'm sure that, that, that we would be just as annoyed. I, I think... I mean, I, I'm, the tidbits are, are tantalising. I, of course I'd like to know more. I don't mind being teased. But I, I think if he completely shut himself off and, and didn't, uh, didn't do any of this, we, we would be saying we've got, we've got a show on it that doesn't engage with fans. As our dear friend Tom says, information is a privilege, not a right. The internet generation has grown up believing information is a right, that we need to be told everything. We need to be spoon-fed this sort of stuff. I mean, back in my day when I watched Doctor Who, we didn't have a clue what was going to be on TV the next week. We didn't even know how many episodes a story was. I mean, we when a Doctor regenerated, it, it was usually quite a surprise. What was that first Hartnell regeneration like, Trev, to watch when you didn't know what was coming? <laughs> oh, I tell you, when I was sitting with my video recorder taping it, I thought, this, this, this is an amazing, and this is an amazing regeneration. And, and I often review the episode and... It's it's absolutely fantastic. Um, but I think what- modern fans, because the internet is here, because it has information at their fingertips or, or you know their mouse pointers, that they think that they have a right. To information, I, yeah, and I tell you we what. don't, ladies and gentlemen. We don't. I think it's an ability to, to get it, and, and that that is a fact. I mean, I mean, obviously, uh, in, when you were watching Doctor Who in the olden days, before the printing press, you know, there, there wasn't an easy way uh, of, of getting of getting this information. But there is now, and, and that is a fact. This is the world we live in. Uh, so anyone who's engaging with fans and working in, inside the media has to sort of uh, has to address that fact and has to uh, no, has to work they don't. with, work with no, them. They don't. I, it, no, they don't. Just because it's digital doesn't mean it becomes a God-given right. No, I, 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 I can see both sides. I can see both sides. But one thing I would, you know, I like to think about is, I mean, what we have had certainly with the birth of the internet is is, is the fact that fans comment on other fans a lot and their approaches and because there are some people out there who don't want to know anything about what's coming up there are some people who have to know everything indeed to use that expression they believe they are entitled to know what's coming up but then you've got another whole group of fans are saying oh well your approach to fandom is wrong you should be more like me and just basically sit back and uh, and watch what happens and what what I do think it should be the case is that we all in, we should all enjoy it without judging others so much. I mean, there's there's a hell of a lot of stuff going on on Twitter at the moment, and and Gallifrey Base is another one where you've got what well, I think most people would consider to be quite you know, pointless debate, you know, we need this, we need four episodes, we need to see more Ian Levine reconstructions, we need this, we need that. And then if you go elsewhere, you've got a whole bunch of people who comment on that conversation. Oh, go and look at the (laughs) idiots over here discussing this. And isn't that just as bad? Do you not think that's just as bad? I I think we should just get involved and enjoy Doctor Who in our own way without commenting on how others can... Uh, well, commenting in a derisory way about James, how others enjoy their do, Does that not make us the idiots talking about other fans and how they choose to engage with their fandom? No, I'm talking about fans talking about fans who are talking about other fans now. Keep up, Ian. Okay, so we're fans talking about fans talking about fans talking about fans. Okay, sorry, I've got it now. It's a snake that's eaten another snake that's eaten its own tail. <laughs> is, is this just fandom, really, basically? And is there any particularly you know, positive way of looking at this? Is there a right way of looking at it? I mean... 
the way the internet is, it's, it gives you that information now. So therefore, people who are born, you know, with the internet there and they just can't remember life pre-computers hell i mean i'm nearly 40 now and i can almost not remember life before the internet you can be born with the internet what like a plug in the back of the head or something now that would be interesting where do you buy this i think it's maplins oh i thought apple might have like a (laughs) apple might have an app for it you can put on your iphone that can plug in the back of your head (laughs) i'm sure google i'd love to be born with the internet oh that'd be fantastic trev you're so dated it's not plugs anymore you get a little uh, bluetooth little bluetooth oh of course wi-fi and bluetooth and you know x-rays and stuff like that of course <laughs> fantastic of course. <laughs> but i think the way See, i'm still surfing the net with my finger everyone's doing it with their thumb these days <laughs> i don't think we'll just leave that one right there <laughs> Big finish with Ian and Michelle from across the Atlantic Ocean. Ian from the UK and Michelle from the United States. Reviewing Big Finish, sorting out the wheat from the chaff and nonsense, saving you money on the ones that are not so good. We're talking about Unit Dominion, a new audio series from Big Finish featuring the Seventh Doctor. And this is a four-part mini-series where it's really one story stretched over four episodes, but continuing the story of the Seventh Doctor we've seen before. Now, Michelle, we've seen a couple of series like this recently, for example, Dark Eyes. Is this a new departure for Big Finish, or have they done a number of these in the past? As a matter of fact, it feels new to me, and yet the more I thought about it, the more I realized that certainly some of the spin-off series, I mean, if you think of Dalek Empire or the Cybermen, did sort of the same model, where you have interlinking stories that are fairly lengthy in themselves, but certainly form one continuous narrative. What I was surprised at when I listened to this, and Dark Eyes for that matter, was I was expecting some something a bit more self-contained, whereas these seem to be a continuation of previous stories. For example, in this one, the, the Seventh Doctor has got Rain Creevy, a uh, companion I've not encountered before, but obviously he has some history with, and also Dr. Klein, who there's very clearly quite a backstory going on there, which I've totally missed. Klein first appeared in Colditz, which is uh, a highly recommended story from fairly early in the monthly range from Big Finish, then was so so intriguing a character that I, they brought her back for a trilogy. And in fact, if you want to hear the DWP's opinion of that, if you go all the way back to Doctor Who podcast number 15, you get to hear the Klein trilogy reviewed as well as Colditz, as well as an interview with a couple of the folks from Big Finish that were in on the making of that. So all of which culminates, as you say, in, in this story here, we've got the seventh Doctor with two of the companions, if you will, that he has encountered. Rain, who's quite new to him still in this story, and and Klein with this back history. And then just to throw things into the mix, you have another character, really sort of from out of the blue, um, the other Doctor, who is apparently a, a future incarnation of our Doctor, who comes in to kind of stir up the pot. Yes, and in fact, for an awful lot of this series, the the other Doctor is the principal protagonist from our perspective because the seventh Doctor is uh, operating in a a different dimension with a different subplot going on. Uh, And in fact, I actually found for an awful lot of this story, I was much enjoying the other Doctor's plotline over the seventh Doctor. He's he's a very different take on the Doctor, this, this future incarnation. Yeah! It's the good old unit lab. Bit bigger, bit shinier, but irrefutably the same unit lab. Hello there. You look a little taken aback. No umbrella. I beg your pardon? I mean... You're... uh, You're not the man I was expecting. 
Making someone feel inadequate within seconds of meeting them? Oh, what splendid conversational skills you have, Miss, um, actually. Have we met somewhere before? A little bit of a difficult uh, portrayal to, to warm to, but I actually enjoyed his his character arc through this story a bit more than the seventh Doctor, who I thought was a little bit parked off to one side. Well, Alex McQueen plays the other Doctor, and he is brilliant in this. One of the things I really liked about this series is, I guess what you would call the main dilemmas of the story, one of which is the other Doctor, and, and Clyde in particular is encountering him, encountering him early on and wondering what to make of this man. The other one involves Klein and the seventh Doctor. There's a wonderful kind of friction between them, and she doesn't trust him. He's essentially been haunting her, as she puts it. He's been appearing in the in the shadows uh, throughout her life with Unit, and, and this has really disturbed her. I'm recording this because I'm not exactly sure why. Because it's too ridiculous to risk telling anyone. Because I'd lose my job if I told anyone. Not just that. It's in case something happens, in case... Oh, I'm sounding like a mad person, aren't I? Look, I'll just say it and maybe it'll make sense to you. Or maybe it won't, and this tape will never see the light of day. I'm being... stalked. Oh, I am sounding like a mad person, but it gets worse. It's like I'm being haunted. You see, he's in my dreams, too. Maybe I'm dreaming all of it. Maybe I'm going insane. But I swear to you, whoever you are, it's very real for me. The dreams are more than dreams. And when I see him, it's more than just a glimpse out of the corner of my eye. He's really there. And then he's gone. Months. Sometimes years pass. And then he's back again. Who am I talking about? The Umbrella Man. The Doctor. In the extra CD at the end, uh, Nick Briggs talks about how Klein and her emotional journey is one of the big anchors of this story. And I was actually quite surprised to hear that because although Klein has an interesting story to tell and is an interesting character, I didn't get the feeling of it being central to the story that apparently was the intention. Perhaps that's because I didn't didn't know the backstory of Klein's. So what was your opinion of her? I mean, kind of coming to her fresh. I thought she was an interesting character. I didn't think she sort of set the world alight. It was interesting to have the slightly cynical take on the Doctor, but I didn't think it was revolutionary, but it was certainly enjoyable and well portrayed. I find Klein an interesting character, but specifically in relation to the Seventh Doctor. There was talk again in the extras that a spin-off series would be nice. I'm not sure I would be as excited about a spin-off series where she was the main character and the Doctor didn't factor in. I think she is most intriguing when playing off the Seventh Doctor in particular, although it would be interesting to have her meet other incarnations of the Doctor as well. The other character, of course, that we've got is Rain Creevy. And I have to say that, again, not knowing this character, not knowing the backstory here, I came at this completely cold. And for the first, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of the audio, I thought it was Mel. The the sound of the voice and the characterization and the interaction with the Doctor was so familiar. That's really interesting to, to hear you make that, that parallel. I hadn't picked up on it, but then I had followed Rain from, from her introduction in the Lost Stories not too long ago. She's a character that I find okay. She hasn't yet grabbed me emotionally. I'm not, not quite on her side in the way I am some other characters. Um, I, I've heard 
some comments online about, you know, was she really necessary to this story? She's okay for me. What bothered me more about this story had to do with the portrayal, really in the first couple of episodes of this, of Unit and a little bit of some of the incursions that were happening from the other dimension. This is set up so that there are multiple creatures invading essentially the Earth. But I found two things. One is that I found some of the monsters to be a little over the top and a little bit silly uh, for my taste. Even more troubling to me, the portrayal of Unit, particularly at the very beginning, ma made them seem, well, kind of like buffoons, I guess. There's, there's a commander at the very beginning of Unit who is clearly nothing but a narcissistic, publicity-garnering fool. And I just struggle when they have characters like that that are supposed to be in charge of this you know, super-secret, super-important uh, organization. I know in the classic series that the Brigadier could sometimes be a figure of comedy, but he never lost his dignity, and he never lost his professionalism, and he never lost his credibility. And I would prefer that the unit that we see in the Big Finish audios continue that. To my mind, there was an element here of highlighting how special the Brigadier was, by showing how his successes aren't anything like as effective as he is and all have their, their flaws. For a story that is titled Unit Dominion, I did think they were a little bit underused and uh, a little bit too much of the... The thrust of the story was around the other Doctor and how he's driving things forward. I was actually expecting more of a mini-series focusing on Unit, and I, I thought this was more of a, a a Doctor story that happened to feature a bit of Unit in the background for texture. Although, to be fair, they were there throughout the whole stories, and this doesn't form for individual stories with a linking theme. It is one big script, one big story, and within that you've got all these individual scenes with individual incursions, different monsters. I know what you mean about some of the monsters. There was one monster in particular who had this kind of rather strange accent that reminded me of the Vogons from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or even the <laughs> trolls from the recent uh, Hobbit movie and I thought it was a little bit too stupid comedy uh, mm -hmm. for my for my liking I can smell you you stink keep away well if I smell that bad you won't want to eat me will you certainly not and the thing is, that building you're threatening to eat is full of folks that are just as smelly as me. Really? Ugh, that's disgusting. Come in, Rain and the Doctor. I think I might be onto something here. But some of the other ones were very effective, and I, I thought that um, a couple of them in particular, the Mind Leeches and then there was also the Arachnid ones, were very effective, and there were some extremely creepy and scary scenes very very atmospheric as well with some of those uh, monsters the, the the only problems i really had with it is that although the individual vignettes worked for the most part very well and were enjoyable and you wanted to hear what's going on i struggled a little bit to get the overarching story for an awful lot of it it's unclear other than in the very broadest terms of what the, the, the big story is, what the big challenge is. and you know, But individually, there was no point during it that I didn't enjoy what I was listening. Yeah, all in all, a worthwhile listen and something that I, I will return to in the future. Going back to Stephen Moffat and what, it, what he releases, I think what you also have to bear in mind is that he knows the value of every statement he makes. If he goes and says any tiny tidbit, it hits all the news wires, it gets, if it's big enough statements, it'll get press on the BBC, it'll be all around the world, and he wants to use that. 
And you've seen the pattern every season for the last few years where you get this enormous drought of information. And then about three weeks maybe before the new season comes back, stuff starts to come out. Then you start to spoon feed it out and it starts to build up. And there's a very, very clear PR campaign behind this where they're building upon the releases to build up the buzz so that everyone is in a fever pitch when the show comes back and they get all this sort of free publicity. So I'm quite sure he's holding back some of this stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we're, what, five weeks away from Series 7B now. I would be amazed if you don't start seeing a little bit more dribble out in about two weeks' time to start hitting that curve for the release. And then after the season as well, I think you'll find a few bits going out as well. I, I think the 50th anniversary is an interesting uh, thing to discuss. I mean, we've been discussing it for the last four years, basically. But uh, and now that we're actually here in 2013, the things that I've enjoyed so far, and I can see myself enjoying the most about the 50th anniversary, is the way that British, particularly London institutions, are celebrating it. And the the BFI series at the moment, we've had two, one in January, one in February, where they're screening old Doctor Who on a big screen in public and they're not trying to hide it you know they're mm. not embarrassed um is, is going to be one of the strongest and you know most abiding memories that i'm going to take away from this year and the the only way i think i'm going to be able to have that memory trumped is if they do end up releasing a couple of missing stories that they've found and just not telling us mm. about or you can... have to start paying for the tickets well there you go yeah <laughs> <laughs> And isn't it wonderful? I mean, I've, I've uh, had the pleasure and privilege of attending uh, one of these uh, screenings, and you know this rickety old TV show that was made for children on a shoestring, uh, writ large on the on the huge on a big screen, and it looks fabulous. This was designed to be shown on a postage stamp in the corner of the room, and it, it, and the first episode of Unearthly Child just looked wonderful. Absolutely, you really you see the the work that went into the set design. You see every little tiny uh, nuance of that junkyard was just wonderful. I saw stuff in it that I'd never seen before. Mm. No, was... I think there was the Tardis somewhere in the background in that in that uh, story, wasn't there? There is, there is, there is. And right I mean... at the back of the right at the back, you can see the Tardis. Yeah, it's amazing what it's it, it's amazing what these reconstructions and re. Cleaning can do. It just brings out detail in the stories we've never seen before. Once you've seen it, you'll never miss it. And, and this this is the uh, this is the exciting thing going forward, I think, particularly with an adventure in space and time. And I know, Lisa, you touched on this briefly uh, a couple of weeks or so ago. But I mean, first of all, I mean, it took me ages to figure out why it had been called what it had been called. I mean, are, are you aware of that? I just want to see whether or not this is obscure knowledge. <laughs> a whip. Uh, we're aware of how clueless you are. Is that what you're trying to yes. say? Yes. Well, it, most people knew that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but are you seriously? Are you aware of why it's called an adventure in space and time? Was that the original brief for the show? P- no. The original pitch? Nope. Mm. Was it, it was not the uh, tagline in the Radio Times? Very good. Yes, it was. It was the way that the episode was uh, described in the Radio Times on, well, the covered uh. TV listings for the 23rd of November 1963. It was episode one, An Adventure in Space and Time, or words to that effect. So I only found it out recently. And do you know how I found it out? Um, did uh, you have an old copy of the Radio Times? <laughs> no. I tweeted the fact at an unearthly child, you know, what it's going to be called, and I got it right. Wrong. 
and Mark Gatiss corrected me. Oh, Adventure in Time and Space. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think he said, how many more times do I need to say this as well? Because so. <laughs> he did actually mention it at the, at the beginning just prior to uh, the screening, didn't he? He did, yes. And that's yes. when I tweeted it incorrectly, you see. I wasn't paying attention. Rather ironic, really, when the first episode actually has neither space or time adventures in it as they're all in the same time period in a junkyard. Oh, you are a killjoy, Ian, honestly. <laughs> Fancy finding no. the one thing not to enjoy about that title. <laughs> so in the Mark Gators DWP quiz stakes, it's Mark Gators 1. DWP nil. Or oh, more specifically, Fantastic. James Zero, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, bet if, I bet if we asked Mark Gatiss some of Trev's questions, we'd quickly get the score back. <laughs> but you also have to remember that this this um, celebratory docurama or whatever it's uh, being called now, it's. Um, it looks like it's going to cover far more than just the creation of Doctor Who. Because initially, when I heard about this, I thought it was going to be set perhaps in the year prior to yeah, Doctor like Who coming on screen. And, yeah, yeah, but they, they've just yeah. announced the casting for Patrick Troughton. You know, mm, I mean, I Smith. So I think we're going to be really surprised uh, by what this programme contains. I think quite early on, I, I remember hearing um, Gattis saying that it's, it, this is more of it's Hartnell's, it's uh, William Hartnell's journey uh, with the show. So I th- I th- I'd, got, I'd got the impression that we were going to cover at least his, uh, his tenure. Hmm. What, what do you think of his casting, David Bradley? Well, I, I, I think I said on a previous podcast, uh, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have been one of the choices that would have popped into my head. But as soon as I saw him, and I'm obviously aware of his work, I thought, brilliant. Yeah, exactly the same for me. Uh, so as soon as I saw the pictures, I thought, yeah, of course. But it, it never would have occurred to me prior to that. I mean, I, I haven't really paid a lot of close attention to who they're casting, to, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I have quite a lot of faith in Mark Gaddis that he's going to be um, putting people on this documentary, docurama, whatever you want to call it, that will be quite faithful to the likenesses of um, uh, the original actors and behind-the-scenes people. And William Russell is in it. And, and William Russell has been cast. Mm. Yeah. Be, I, I was talking about this with Luke, and he says he's going to be on both sides of the credits. He's going to be listed as a character and as an actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's playing a guy called Frank, isn't he? I don't know. And I'm sure they will take the opportunity, wherever possible, to have those little cameos in there. You know, the people that were originally involved with the show, you know, like William Russell, will, will appear in it. And, and, and that will be part of the joy for not only people new to Doctor Who who, who don't know the history, but for us fans who know it inside out, well, some of us do, and <laughs> we'll see people like William Russell in small cameo roles. And, and they've even announced that they have a uh, actress playing Dodo. Oh, have they? Oh, yeah. I mean, she she, she wasn't there till... they got someone playing Jackie Lane. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't there till, like, you know, the beginning of 1966. So, yeah, uh, Lisa, you're right. They're not only doing the formative years. I, I think they're going all the way up to pretty much the end of where Hartnell left the show. Well, many, many years ago, when Mark Gatiss was talking about potentially making something like this, and this was long before it ever was considered a possibility, I think. He, he he mentioned that he would like to start the entire documentary or the entire programme with the regeneration and then the rest of it mm. being told in mm. flashback. And, of course, that makes perfect sense for a show about time travel not to be specifically mm. linear in its storytelling. Well, not only that, every biography I read today of, you know, famous people or sporting teams or shows, they always start with, like, a bit at the beginning of the book which is in like the current day or just like a few years ago 
And then that directly relates back to where the story really starts in, you know, chapter two or chapter one or whatever. And they go right back to the beginning. So it, it, it wouldn't surprise me, yeah, if they do have like a beginning bit where they say, this is what's happening now. And then it relates all the way back to, you know, 1961 or 1962 when the uh, show was being formulated. I suppose if you're going to tell the, um, you know, the, the story of the birth of the show, I suppose it wasn't really born as Doctor Who until the regeneration, uh, and that has, has sort of defined uh, what, what the show. Ooh, how how so? Because uh, if it wasn't for that first regeneration, then uh, it wouldn't be the show that it is today. It wouldn't still be running fifty years later. You think? Yeah, I don't think William Hartnell would would have lasted. You think the show? I mean, I mean, Doctor Who did did come up with a fantastically unique way of. Uh, recovering from the fact that a lead actor has to leave the show, sure. But why wouldn't they do what pretty much every other series does when they have major cast leave? Just recast or... Um... How, how many other shows are still celebrating their 50th anniversary having kept broadcasting yeah. for the majority of the time? It's the regeneration shtick is what's kept the show going. No other series lasts anything like as long as this. You look at the Star Treks, the Battle Stars, anything. Coronation Street. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but, but again, but built into the format of a soap opera, built into the format of a soap opera is the constant evolution of cast, and that's why they can carry on going. And Doctor Who is about the only example I can think of outside of soap operas where they're built into the format that they can keep re- re- refreshing the cast on an ongoing basis, and it's that thing that has allowed the show to carry on uniquely amongst pretty much any other series I can think of. Uh, so, yes, I, I totally agree with what Leeson was saying, that without that... Uh, idea of doing the regeneration and pulling it off successfully, the show never would have made one decade, never mind five. I think it was one of the factors, certainly, but you know, bear in mind the show very nearly got pulled in Patrick Troughton's day as well. Uh, towards the end of his tenure, ratings were really bad. And had it not been for John Pertwee's monumental success, then we could have quite easily have seen the show finish in 1969 or 1970. And um, that wasn't down to the concept of regeneration. That was down to the fact that, you know, the show wasn't that popular, you know. Well, no, but the fact that it became popular again, um, it was just down to the regeneration, the fact that yes. they could refresh the format, they would I, I, refresh the lead sure. actor. Yeah, I, mean, I think the fact that they were able to continue it, certainly, but it was, it, it's not just regeneration. It, it, I mean, it, it gives you an opportunity to refresh the show, yes, as you say, change the concept, change the format, change the actors and so on. But, you know, it's it, the constant is, is Doctor Who, and it's, it, it's, I think the thing that's made it survive is the fascination that we all feel, and certainly when we were younger, it was very, very clear, the fascination of getting inside a box that's much larger on the inside than it is on the outside, and not being bound by things like time and space. You can go anywhere. Now, I think that, along with the absolutely revolutionary idea of regeneration, is responsible for Doctor Who's longevity. And I I think it would be wrong just to say, yes, it's one single element. It's a whole mixture of stuff, Part of which came together on purpose. Part of it is just, you know, it just happens. In terms of the things that uh, they're going to show, the things you're talking about would have already been shown in the first two seasons when they talk about then talking about Mark Gattis's documentary. I think by the time you get to the regeneration, that was the last big piece of the jigsaw. Which is not to say that weren't very important things that happened further down the line. Uh, you know, Tom Baker's era is pivoted in making Doctor Who the global phenomenon that it is today. But in terms of the actual 
DNA of the show, of all the really crucial parts that had to be put together to make it the long-term success. I think the last really big piece was the first regeneration. And after that, they were successfully using the format and rolling the format on an ongoing basis. But before the first regeneration, you still haven't got the whole picture. We still haven't got the whole picture. Episode four's missing. <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. <laughs> Although that's going to be animated, and in you know, it completely embracing the nature of the geek out, we're going to get another animated um, missing episode that was announced at Gallifrey as well. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that very much. We'll be able to see the tenth planet in its entirety, pretty pretty much. I was incredibly disappointed. Oh, really? Yeah, because it means that they haven't found it. <laughs> Not necessarily. Not necessarily, because it's... Um, when One of the questions that I would love to have asked that particular panel was, you know, to what extent or how much consideration do you give uh, to the likelihood of an episode being found when you're going through episodes thinking, hmm, which one shall we animate? And one of the things that came to light was that the Reign of Terror animation took two years. Mm. Two years. And, you know, a couple of episodes were found a couple of years ago. What if they'd already started and then they found it? Are they just going to say, oh, look, let's just not tell anybody we're animating this? Nah. You know? <laughs> it's, uh, they, who knows? Who knows what the score is? Tenth Planet may have nah, been nah. animated nah. years ago. or started. Tenth Planet 4 is still lost, <laughs> unfortunately. I thought you had it, Trey. I mean, I, I don't tell anyone. Shh. I was trying to keep that secret. No, no, Tenth Planet Four is lost. I mean, they if if it was found six months ago, they would sort of whisper to the animation people, "Hey guys, we found like the real deal. Where you know we're going to go with this. Here's the money for what you've done so far, but stop working." There would be no way they would be releasing an animated version of that episode if the real deal had been or maybe found. it's not true. Maybe they're not animating it. Mm. <laughs> maybe this is just a, a pure diversionary tactic to say, "Oh, actually." We're just releasing the whole lot. Oh, okay. So rather than increase sales of the story by actually saying we found the real deal, let's just have less sales and say, oh, we're only going to have an animated version on the DVD. Yeah, but what a surprise. What a surprise to launch in the 50th anniversary. The first regeneration. And let's say, you know, Leeson, you're right. It's certainly a pivotal part of the program. So therefore, let's celebrate it in its best possible way by showing the first regeneration. (laughs) <laughs> this is all speculation, listeners, and it's not even very informed. <laughs> so it's, it, it's all a case of just saying what we would like. And I, I think, certainly, out of all of the missing episodes, Tenth Planet Part 4, I would love that to turn up this year. Can you believe how good that... Oh, that would be a real anniversary to remember for me. No, all of Power of the Daleks. I'm greedy. <laughs> oh, I want it all... <laughs> Yes, you don't want too much, do you? Not just one episode, you want all six. Yeah, I want all six, yeah. <laughs> so not very demanding from you there, really. So. Um. Anyway, we've been geeking out for what seems like two hours, but is actually much shorter. It's strange. Our DWP recordings are normally the other way around. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. Is, is there anything you know incredibly intelligent or revelatory that anyone else wants to say before we go on to drawing the competition um, that we launched a little while ago during our Love and War and Jago and Lightfoot special episodes. Oh, well, all I want to say is while James and Lisa and Ian have been talking about whatever they've been talking about, I've been looking at these statistics for the uh, DWP and, and I am staggered by the amount of people that are downloading our episodes. And I just want to say thank you to our existing listeners and our new listeners for downloading. I, I think in January we had close to two terabytes worth of downloads. Now, I, I can't even write that amount of zeros and ones and nines in, in an order. Uh, that, that, that just staggers me that we have so many people out there 
wanting to hear what primarily I have to say. So thank you. Anyway, before we round off, uh, we will draw this competition, let's say. A little while ago, Michelle and I talked about some Big Finish releases. We've got copies of those Big Finish releases. It's the three-disc Love and War adaption. And also, thanks to Tony Whitmore, we have a copy of the most recent Jago and Lightfoot story as well, Journey to the New World. And our question was, uh, to win these two plays, which other Virgin New Adventure that was written by Paul Cornell was adapted for the telly series and the answer was of course Love and Monsters yes Love and Monsters <laughs> or Human Nature <laughs> even and um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this part of the podcast I'm going to ask let me think Leeson today to come up with our random number generator sound effect and Trevor, if you can choose a number halfway through it between 1 and 89, please. Now, do I make the noise now? You can make the noise now, yes. <laughs> calm down, calm down. Put her down. You can't do that. <laughs> Illegal. <laughs> down with this sort of thing. <laughs> Time for tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go for a totally random number. Because we've been recording for 49 minutes here in the uh, camper van for this story... I'm going to go for entry number 49, please. 49. Thank you very much. That is... Dear Doctor Who Podcast, my answer to the competition is human nature. Keep up the good work. I enjoy listening to you every week. Mr. Stephen Woods, thank you very much indeed. Oh, Steve! He's a good lad, Steve. Of Love and War. <laughs> and Journey to the New World. So that'll be on its way to you at some point. Well, by the time you listen to this, it'll be on its way to you already. And as a bonus, and as a bonus, just because this is what you get for entering Doctor Who podcast competitions. Stephen, you've won a special prize. You've also won a copy of the first Sontarans that's been signed by Andrew Smith, because I just happen to have a spare one. So, listeners out there, enter the competitions. You never quite know what you might win. Stuff that we no longer need. Stephen, I'll be emailing you soon, mate. There, there's a few big finishes I need to catch up on. I'm hoping I can borrow a couple from you. <laughs> there we go. Okay, and I think that rounds off this episode of the Doctor Who podcast. At this moment in time, we have no idea what we'll be talking about next week either, but we hope very much you can enjoy it. Ian, Lisa and Trevor, <laughs> it's been wonderful speaking to you again. Well, it's been all right speaking to you again. Thank you, James. Past the time. I always feel so welcome. <laughs> we'll catch up with you next week bye for now everybody bye cheerio that was the Doctor Who Podcast which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com if you have any feedback please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com you can also find us on Twitter Facebook and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums thank you for listening take care about that, eh? I, uh, the, the intro, I, I thought we were still just rambling, and I was going to come in and go, hello, welcome to an episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, and then it turned into the intro, so let's see what I can do with that.